Welcome to Vineyard Church Cardiff podcast. Today, James is continuing his series, He Will Be Exalted, our vision series. Hey, everybody, great to be with you again. Part two of our vision series on He Will Be Exalted. Well, I think I said, you know, it's like, he will be exalted. I want to put my hands in the air when I say that. He will be exalted. And last week I shared about how I felt as a church we were moving into a new chapter. And the vision that God has given us is not a new direction. It's not like suddenly, do you know what, we've come up with this brilliant new plan and everything's thrown in that way. No, this is much more an expansion of what Jesus has already whispered into our hearts. It's the next piece of the jigsaw puzzles I spoke about. And I shared three significant moments that are in front of us as a community that we have an opportunity to step into as we continue to restore the city and renew the nation. So just to recap those, the first one is buying the gate, a new era for the gate, which I concentrated on last week. Secondly, developing our sites and ministries. And then thirdly, church planting and equipping future leaders. The language that I've been using in this series, he will be exalted, came from a prophetic picture that I shared, that I was given in early January about a tornado coming right through the centre of our church. And when I prayed about it, I felt like the Lord said it's two things. It's his presence and his power. Uh, And over the top of that tornado were the words, I will be exalted. And so the Lord will be glorified. And as we come out of this pandemic into this next moment, we believe that God is wanting I believe that God is wanting to see a ferocity and a passion in his church, that he's not wanting a church that's lukewarm and simply goes through the motions. Instead, he's wanting a church on fire and a people on fire, a church that cries out, he will be exalted, he will be exalted. So last week I shared from 1 Chronicles 29 where King David prays this this beautiful foundational kingdom prayer declaring his desire to see the Lord high and lifted up. And in it, he says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Reminding us of Psalm 24, yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And David got it. He understood what it meant to exalt the Lord. And today we're going to be dipping back into 1 Chronicles, particularly into chapter 9, to see how David led his community, how David led the people of God in a significant moment of their own. Over the last couple of months, the Lord's really been speaking to particularly myself and Alice through this passage. It was funny, I spoke on it one morning in our staff meeting and then Alice preached on it that weekend and we're suddenly like, Lord, the Lord's been speaking to you through exactly the same passage. And as, as we kind of spent some time praying, we we're like, actually, this is a foundational passage for us in this next season. And this might not be a familiar part of the Bible when people talk about their favourite books. They don't often go, do you know, I love One Chronicles, oh, my favourite book. But it feels particularly significant because it's in line with what we're wanting to share throughout this series. Now, much of Chronicles focuses on the reign of King David as he seeks to build the temple or a house for the Lord. And what's important about 1 Chronicles is that it was actually written a long time after King David was alive. It was written much more around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah towards the Old Testament. And as it 
its name suggests, it chronicles, it retells the history of God's people. So much further on, looking back into time and recounting some of the stories from David. It's got some material that's shared elsewhere in the scriptures, but then some new material as well. But much like I did last week when I shared our 13 years, our journey of God calling us to Cardiff and then moving through in the different stages that we've been through as a community. The reason that I did that was in order to encourage us about what the Lord has already done and how the Lord has already been faithful to us. And this is exactly what's going on in 1 Chronicles. The end of 1 Chronicles that we're going to be looking at today um, looks of how when King David was coming to the end of his life, his fire and his passion for the Lord had not dimmed. They still remained fierce. And David had a vision and he had a sense of calling that it was time to build a house for the Lord, a place for God's presence to dwell, a centre for worship, a place where the Lord would be exalted. For so long, God's presence had been carried around in the Ark of the Covenant, which, for those of you who don't know, was a large gold-plated ornate wooden chest. And all through the wilderness, from tent to tent, From location to location, God's presence was carried in the ark. But now that the people of God had established themselves in a fixed location in Jerusalem, David has this overwhelming longing to build a house for the Lord. He's like, it's not enough that you've just got this ark. I want to build you something so much more. But David knew that he wasn't going to be the one to complete this work. For God had actually told him that it wasn't going to be him, that it was going to be his son Solomon that was going to be build the temple. So God downloads the blueprints into David. I mean, it's so detailed. If you look at the passage, the amount of detail of what this temple is going to look like. And God puts this vision and into David's heart. But then he tells David, it's not going to be you because you have shed so much blood. Instead, it's going to pass and it's going to be your son Solomon that builds this. What a huge undertaking. And that's what we see David doing in the last couple of chapters, 28, 29 of 1 Chronicles. David assembles his people, all the military and the tribal leaders, the royal overseers, the soldiers, because David knows that this vision of building the temple, sorry, is so much bigger than something that he can achieve by himself. He can't just crack on. It's like he needs the whole community to be a part of this. And what David also knows is that this wasn't just a palace for a king, an earthly king. This just wasn't something to speak of, oh, David, you're so magnificent. Isn't it great that you've built this temple? This was a palace and a home for the king, for the king of kings, the Lord of lords. This was for the Lord. This wasn't for David. This was for God. This was to be a temple for the presence of the living God to dwell that would speak of his majesty and his power. That's the vision that's in David's heart. Last Sunday, I spoke about the first moment that we've got in front of us, the first opportunity, that of buying the gate. And I told the story of our community so far, highlighting how God's spoken every step of the way, opened doors, provided whatever we need to ensure that his purposes prevail. And I explained the significant role that the gate has had in our story, the journey that we've gone on to reach this moment of opportunity of being able to purchase the gate. And that's hopefully something that's going to happen in the next month or two, that we're going to actually be able to buy this building. And then I spoke about the, the new vision that we have for this place. And if you missed that last talk, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that. 
But what was true for David and Solomon in building the temple can be taken as true for us today. Purchasing the gate, it's not just about a building. Do you know what I mean? It's like bricks and mortar. It's about his presence. And this vision series is about more than just buying the gate. It's about, renew- sorry, it's about restoring the city and renewing the nation. And I said, as I said, the vision hasn't changed. It's just an expansion. The, the, the picture's become slightly clearer. I often talk about having bonfires of his presence, that as I look almost as a bird's eye view of South Wales, for instance, I just see these bonfires of God's presence. It's like we've got them, like you can think about them as our small groups. They're like little fires. And then you've got our sites, which are these bigger fires. And then thinking ahead to church planting and churches that they become new bonfires of his presence because that's what we gather around the people of God gather around the presence of God today I want to share more about the next two aspects of the vision the development of sites and ministries and the shift in the way that we want to plant churches and equip the next generation of leaders so let's just start with developing our sites and ministries God has called us to restore this city as a multi-site church and we believe that in this moment he's calling us to extend our reach. Multiplication and growth. We are not to settle. That's not in our DNA. It's not who we are. And we want to invest not just in one site. We want to invest in all of our sites, developing them to the next level. All of our sites are growing and they've all got different needs at this time and this period. The North and West, for instance, they're developing as sites and they're they're in the next stage of development, that they've been smaller and so they're beginning to grow. And as small groups grow, what happens is that you begin to need um, space in which you can begin to outwork ministry, community. So uh, stays and plays, mum stays and plays and um, compassion ministries. It becomes like a little ministry base. And so you you start hiring space in different parts of the city because we, they need to be in that part of the city because the people that have grown and joined that church are in that part of the city. So that's a really important developmental stage. And so we want to be, have money in order that we can begin to hire some of those spaces and develop these midweek ministries. So it's not, so it's got Sundays, the small groups, but ministry as well. But also, Um, We've got our kids and youth ministries. I mean, we've been so blessed with kids and youth in this church. We've got about 150 kids under the age of 11 that would probably call this church their home, 50 youth. And so we're not the kind of church that just sits there and go, oh, isn't it great? Go into the back room. It's wonderful. But actually, this is the next generation. And we we are called to look after our next generation and to do this brilliantly. They're our future. They're our inheritance. And so we keep wanting to invest in them. We want to launch um, small groups and weekends away with our kids. And our youth have seen um, a real influx. I mean, it's, it's pretty big now. There's about 50 young people as part of our community and we have small groups in every year group. But we don't want to stop there. We want to keep investing. We want to make room for more youth to come and to do that really well, to disciple them. As they're in school, it's such a difficult time. They're in a culture that is so confusing and we want to be able to disciple them in that journey. Uh, So we want to invest in all of our sites and our ministries as well. And so the gate as well. So we're getting the the gate building, but there's going to be things that we're going to want to see happening as part of the gate site, the central site. We've got food co-op that's been happening and grow baby, stay and play. But there's going to be more and more opportunities for midweek ministries, weekend ministries to begin to occur, for community to be built, for people to come in. 
So all of that, as well as this, over the next couple of years, we are going to identify and train our next site pastors. I came to the church a number of years ago, four or five years ago, and said we felt that there were five sites. We currently have three. And so in, in the background, we're preparing for our fourth site. We think that that's going to be in 2024. And, but we're getting ready, identifying the next person, praying, who is it, God? Where is it that you're calling this to launch in order that we're ready to go with that site? So that's what some of the things that we sense the Lord calling to us to as we begin to restore the city through the growth and development of our sites and ministries. But we know that God has also called us to renew the nation. And in order to step forwards into this, we believe that the Lord is bringing us to a moment where we need to go to the next level in terms of how we train, equip and release the next generation of leaders. There is a gear change moment for us. And, I, you know, to put it in an analogy, I, I think that the Lord is asking us to move from second gear, maybe in terms of the way that we do that. And he's kind of plonk us straight into fourth. It's like, OK, this is an intentional shift. Uh, in the area of church planting and leadership development. Now, the, Le the vineyard has always been a church planting movement. It's one of the things that deeply attracted me to the vineyard movement. It's like, yes, I love this emphasis on starting new communities. It's in our DNA to send out people and to multiply community in order to extend the kingdom of God. New sites launched, new communities forged for those yet to come. And since 2018, we have launched four new communities um, two church plants, Falmouth Vineyard, which went in 2018. And I was speaking to Nathan yesterday, in fact, and just hearing all that's been going on. He was telling me just the beautiful story of beach baptisms, that they recently baptised three people on the beach. And he said, what's brilliant about beach baptisms is suddenly you kind of begin to attract a crowd. And he, and he made this comment, I didn't think of myself as an open air speaker. In fact, that's not something that I ever dreamed of. But I found myself in a situation where it's like, oh, a crowd has come. They're watching people being baptised. And what an opportunity it is and what a privilege it is to begin to speak to people about Jesus. And that church is thriving. It's doing really, really well. Um, small groups are being planted. They're looking at extra kids space because in their main building, they've run out of kids space. And Ruth and Nathan are doing a brilliant, brilliant job of leading that church. So that's Falmouth. But we've also got Pembrokeshire Vineyard. And um, I've got a little update from them. They have been building and gathering for the last year. They actually planted in the middle of a pandemic. That's amazing, isn't it? They just such a strong sense of what the Lord's doing. We're going to go in the middle of a pandemic and we're going to plant a church. Now, this last Easter weekend was an amazing time for the church because it, it really signalled a step change for them as they'd laid down roots and foundations for what comes next. It was like a launch moment. They'd been building towards Easter as a launch um, platform. And so on the Friday, they had the community shared communion at their Good Friday reflection service, followed by an Easter egg hunt and then an Easter dawn service on the beach, complete with bacon rolls and a dip in the sea. We've planted two other churches on the sea. I don't obviously knew that, but I was just thinking about that. That afternoon, they had their first Sunday service on Easter Sunday in the afternoon. They had nearly 50 of them, including kids, crammed into a church hall for the Easter celebration. Chaos ensued, but it was absolutely beautiful. And the numbers across all of the events were deeply encouraging. But what is more so are the stories of people at each meeting experiencing Jesus and his kingdom. 
And now they're now in the process of launching four small groups alongside their monthly gatherings. Isn't that brilliant? Planted a year ago, Owen and Karis, part of our community for seven or eight years, broken for Pembrokeshire, used to drive across two hours, but they're like, but actually our heart is here, it's in Pembrokeshire. And we started talking to them years and years ago about, well, maybe the Lord's kind of birthing a vision in your heart. And every time Owen, I've heard Owen speak about it, he just starts crying. because He's like, yeah, the Lord's broken me for Pembrokeshire. And then out of it came a church and we're just resourcing them and helping them with that. But this is only the beginning. We're just getting started. In order to truly impact South Wales over the next 10 years, we're intentionally seeking to launch at least 15 new kingdom communities. Now, I want to highlight that word at least. We want multiplication to be in our DNA, sites and church plants. Our focus will be South Wales in this next chapter, but ultimately we're happy to plant churches anywhere. If someone's like, oh, I really want to go to Madagascar. It's like, great, how can we help our church in Madagascar? So it's not limited to South Wales, but it is our intention that this is the place where God has put us and there are places all over South Wales that don't currently have an expression of a vineyard church. For the last 13 years, God has been preparing us as a planting base. And now we're ready to start intentionally and actively planting churches. And we want to do all that we can to set these church plants up for success as well by resourcing them well, training the leaders, offering them support and connection as they take root in their new localities. We want to use the resources of a bigger church to help send worship teams and train and help train them to help them with their kids and youth. We want to use our expertise in compassion and, and resource gathering in order to let the leaders get on and gather and build and see people come to know Jesus and set culture. And we want to release them. And then we want to use our resources as a church to enable some of the other stuff to happen. What I'm saying is that we're intentionally positioning ourselves in this moment for significant multiplication of growth in this next season. And in order to do this, we're going to become a training centre for future leaders. We're expectant for all that the Lord wants to do with leaders currently in our church and those he wants to bring us in the current years as well. And our commitment to the future leader starts right now. Some of you will already know this, but you may have already read about it in a brochure, but I'm excited to announce the arrival of Vineyard Leadership College. Le Vineyard Leadership College is a brand new initiative from Vineyard Churches UK and Ireland. And it is a church-based, multi-campus, multidisciplinary church-based programme. And really what that means is that here in Cardiff, we are going to be running a centre. There's going to be five of them around the UK and Ireland. There's one in Ireland, one in Scotland, two in England and one in Wales. And we're taking the best of the movement, the best from the kids teams and the youth teams and the church planting teams and the worship teams. And we're using the tribes across the movement and then we're using speakers globally as well. We're using the best resources that we have to train our leaders. And so we're running a campus here in Cardiff, but there will be people coming from all over, um, hopefully, uh, well, no, they will be coming from all over, so not hopefully, um, to train in Cardiff as well. Um, and that's going to be a day a week 
Uh, and so there's going to be more information. There's going to be training evenings. And so if you're interested in that, we will let you know far more detail about that. But that's really exciting that we have been asked to do this. And so we're stepping in, into that. Paul Crutchley is going to be heading that up as well. So in addition to buying the gate, we believe God is calling us to develop our sites and ministries as well as church planting and equipping future leaders. We're looking at raising leaders who have deep spiritual formation and are equipped to lead spiritually and practically in the culture in which we find ourselves. The truth is, that's not easy right now. It's not easy to lead in our culture. But yes, we are stepping into training. So God has broadened and enlarged our vision for what he's calling us into next in this next chapter. But, but what will it take? And this is where I want to come back into 1 Chronicles, into the passage. And it's important to rec- that we recognise that this story is not identical. <laughs> you know, suddenly you're like, oh, isn't it amazing? It's exactly the same. No, it's not. This is an Old Testament story. But there are certain principles from here that I think go beyond this story from the Old Testament that we can take into our context, that we can learn from today. And there are three things that I just want to highlight. The first is this. It's going to require wholehearted devotion and willing minds. In chapter 28, David stands up before the assembly and tells them of his desire to build this house for the Lord. But he also tells them that he's not going to be the one to build it. It's going to be Solomon. 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 Can't say that word. Solomon. But you see, it was never about David. It was never about David. And there's a simple and profound lesson that we can all learn from this. It's not about us. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's all about he will be exalted. His purposes will prevail. And the joy and the blessing for us is that he invites us to join in and play our part in this story. And David's part was to receive the instructions from the Lord, that the Lord looked at his heart and said, I love your passion for this. It's beautiful, but it's not you, David. It's bigger than you. I'm going to bring a whole community to pull this off. So we have this moment where the responsibility for building the temple is being passed from David to Solomon. And David says to his son in verse nine, says this, he says, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. David knows what it's going to take, wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. And it's going to take the same thing to see God's vision realised through us today as well, to see the city restored, the nation renewed. It's going to require wholehearted devotion and willing minds. So that's the first thing. The second is we need to do the work that he's called us to. David says to Solomon, Solomon, serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. And then he goes on to say, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. David continues to speak wisdom and instruction to Solomon and he encourages him to be strong and do the work. And then this is a phrase that's repeated again further down the passage in uh, verse 20, where he says to Solomon, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Be strong and courageous. It's familiar language, isn't it? strong and courageous. If you've been out around church for any length of time, you will have heard those words. Because whenever God calls, he equips. Whenever God calls, he equips. 
One of the fundamental ways that he does this is by filling us with courage from heaven to step into his purposes. It's not something that we sit and we just kind of, oh, I need more courage. It's like, no, the Lord gives us courage from heaven. But what particularly struck me here was that last phrase, and do the work. Don't just have courage and do nothing. Take courage and work hard. Kingdom dreams and passions don't generally come fully funded. They do sometimes. But it could be a skills gap or a funding gap or a team need. But God is always in the process of forming us and moulding us. He is the potter and we are the clay. And we get on our knees and we pray and we work hard to make it happen. But our community can only be what it's called to be as everybody does the work, as everyone does the work. Not the few, but the many. And over the period of this three-week vision series, we're, we are inviting you, we're onboarding you and say, come and be a part of this. Don't let this be the 10% getting on with it. It's like, no, this is for all of us. One of the greatest questions people can ask when they feel like they have energy and you might be sitting there like, yes, yes, I'm on board, I've got energy, is how can I help? What can I do? Where do you have need? Where can I serve? That's like music to a leader's ear when somebody comes up. And in fact, if you say that to any of the leaders in the church and you say, how can I help? How can I serve? What can I do? They might just start crying because it's one of those moments you're like, oh, thank you. Somebody that's just willing. That's amazing. We need to do the work he has called us to do. That's point two. And then my last point is we need everybody in their place. And the final verse of chapter eight. 28 and verse 21, after encouraging Solomon to be strong and courageous and do the work, David says to his son, son, the divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God and every willing person skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. What will it take to do the work, to get the job done, to see the Lord's purposes prevail? David says that the work will begin when every willing person skilled in any craft takes their plates and helps play their part. And I love, the, I love that it says any craft. It doesn't go through a list of, of these three crafts. It says any craft. None of them are more valuable than something else. It's just whatever craft you have been given, every contribution is needed. Opening our homes, serving one another, teaching our kids, preaching, leading worship, serving the poor, investing in our youth, ministering on the streets, mentoring a student, leading a small group, teaching people how to read the Bible, organising weekends away. You could go on, you could write a list of 100. It all matters because people matter. We make space for people to come in and belong, to find family. And then we point towards the king and say, he will be exalted. Come and worship him. So what's your part to play? What's your craft? Our heart's desire is that you'd get involved. Bring your craft, bring your skill, bring your passion. Build communities of his presence and power. Bonfires of his presence across our city and our nation. What will it take to see this vision realised? Wholehearted devotion and willing minds doing the work that God has called us to and everyone in their place. In finishing, God has been so faithful to this community. He's positioned us in this moment to continue to press for forward. He's given us our marching orders. He said, this is where I want you to go. The fields are ripe unto harvest. We're called to make room for those 
yet to come. To gather kids, youth, young adults, older adults, different cultures and nations and languages and point them all towards the beautiful name of Jesus, the saver in whom they will find life and life to the full. God wants our yes, a yes in our spirit, a yes which says, do you know what, I'm in, I'm in. God wants us to recognise that he's called us to this community for this time to use our skills, our talents, our minds and our devotion to see his kingdom extended in this city and this nation, to restore this city, to renew this nation. And as I shared last week, we're also coming to the church to ask you to give financially as well. What we believe the Lord is calling us into will require the whole church coming before the Lord and saying, what can I give? We're asking you to give of yourselves, your crafts, your talents, your skills, but we are also asking you to give financially to help make this possible. So far, we've been given £87,000. <laughs> That's a lot of money, isn't it, by some incredibly generous people. But we're seeking another £211,000 to buy the gate, to start a new era in the gate, and that will require £82,000 for the mortgage, as well as to have money to invest in the development of our sites and ministries from our Restore Ministries, our Youth Ministry, our Kids Ministry, and then the development of each one of our three sites as well. And then finally, we're looking at the equipping of leaders and the planting of churches. That will cost us £28,000 as we begin to intentionally push that pedal. Now, some of you, the Lord has blessed you incredibly over the last few years, really beautifully, and you can afford to give tens of thousands of pounds. You have been given much. But for others of you, money is incredibly tight and an ongoing pledge for a small amount a month would be much more possible. We are not telling you what to give. This is literally an invitation to everybody in our community saying, would you go before the Lord and would you ask him what he would have you give? Wholehearted devotion and a willing mind means placing our loaves and fishes before the Lord. Whenever I think about money, I think about loaves and fishes. It's like the Lord gives us and we kind of come with our hands outstretched and we're like, Lord, it's up to you. And it might not seem much sometimes the gift that we give, but we know that the Lord loves to multiply what we give. He takes our willingness, our heart attitude and our offering and he multiplies it for his kingdom. And throughout the years, throughout the last 13 years, we have always seen the Lord incredibly, beautifully, wonderfully provide for his purposes, for the things that he wants to happen, where it's the Lord's idea, where it's his vision, then he provides for what, what he wants to happen. But he does it through his people. So in finishing, Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory. He will be exalted. 